0: Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks.
1: In this episode, meet entrepreneur Jim McKelvey, geochemist and geobiologist Hope Jaron, and author Courtney Carver. Step into the audiobook studio with these authors as they talk about both innovation and how we can all do more with less, and what it means to incorporate that new thinking into our daily lives enjoy.
0: Hi, this is Jim McKelvey, author of The Innovation Stack. So I never intended to write another book. I was so surprised, however, when Square survived a direct attack by Amazon, which I'd never seen any other company do, that it led me on this several-year quest to answer the question of what did we do differently? And it turns out, as I started to get the answer to that, the book just sort of fell in place. I started seeing this pattern, and the pattern looked really powerful. It looked like something that wasn't just an accident because, you know, originally I thought Square just got lucky or, you know, maybe something else happened. But it turns out that there are actual patterns that protect small, innovative companies and turn them into giant, world-dominating behemoths. And when I saw this pattern, well, then I had to write a book. Recording the audiobook was physically painful. My schedule was so busy as I was doing the book that I literally scheduled uh, one of the major recording sessions 36 hours after hernia surgery. And if you know anything about hernia surgery, they cut open your abdomen a little bit, and so you don't have any power. So for the entire recording session, I was unable to clear my throat and barely able to stand. And I did the entire recording standing just because I wanted the energy in the recording. Maybe being cut open two days before the recording session Wasn't the best idea, but it was the only time I had. There were a bunch of words in my own book that I was unable to pronounce, and they were mostly Swedish words. We tell the story of Ingvar Kamprad, the founder of IKEA, and in doing so, I mention Swedish currency, Swedish cities, a lot of stuff that I would mispronounce, except for the fact that I have a Swedish wife, so pronouncing the city wrong might get me in trouble with my in-laws. So I had my wife actually on the phone as I was recording, correcting my pronunciations in real time. It was quite a mess. So I'm really excited about the fact that though I'm not a professional narrator, I was able to read my own book. And that has two sort of personal things for me. First, when I was a little kid, I remember going into the studio with my father and listening to him record his audiobook. He wrote a book on polymer processing. And I remember going into the studio and seeing these big microphones and these reel-to-reel tapes. It was just so cool. And to be actually in a studio now and recording my own book, it's sort of bringing me back to that childlike space. The other thing I liked about it was being able to give emphasis to the words that I thought were important. This is a very personal book for me. And if you listen to it or read it, you'll know that in some places I get so emotional, I have trouble reading. But hopefully that comes through, and hopefully the reader hears a little bit of that in my voice and can understand that, you know, look, the stuff that I talk about is scary. It is personal, and I want to be as close to the listener as possible, and reading the book myself allows me to be there. So if I wasn't going to read the book myself, I think my preferred narrator would be Stephen Fry, a British actor, wonderful tone. As a matter of fact, One of the things I did before reading my book was I listened to a bunch of Stephen Fry's narration and his tone and his variance in tone and his pacing and his variance in pacing just make it way more interesting. Now, I don't claim to have replicated that in my own reading because sometimes I get bogged down in my own writing, but Stephen Fry, definitely the voice of the innovation stack if I could have anyone. The last great audiobook that I listened to was Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And that was interesting because Gladwell didn't produce it as a straight read audiobook. He actually produced it more like a podcast. And actually, when I recorded my book, I recruited most of the people who I quote in the book to come and give sound bites. So we had Jack's mom in here. I had the executives from MasterCard and Shake Shack. And a lot of the people that I quote who are still alive agreed to come in and record the book with me. But as we pieced it together, it just didn't sound right. It sounded too forced. It was choppy. And it just wasn't a good reading experience. So eventually, we cut all that. But I really had a lot of respect for what Gladwell did in making the telling of his words more theatrical i love audiobooks i love to listen as i drive and do other things and unfortunately i don't drive that much anymore most of my work is connected by airplanes and on airplanes i tend to pop up and open a laptop and do work but when i'm driving and my hands are busy listening to an audiobook is great and last weekend i took a trip up to chicago and and actually listened to David Brooks' new book, The Second Mountain, on my way to meet with David Brooks. So it was this fantastic experience. And I love the fact that when I'm listening to a good audiobook, it's almost like I want the journey to keep going.
1: And now listen to a clip from the audiobook.
0: Suddenly, we won. For over a year, a giant monster had chased us through the graveyard of corporate corpses. Amazon, the scariest monster on the planet had copied our product, undercut our price, and was going to eat our brains. Then, without warning, on Halloween in 2015, the monster stopped the attack and handed us a treat. This treat was better than any bag of candy. Not only did Amazon discontinue its competing product, it also mailed the product's existing customers a little white square card reader in a smiling cardboard box. Happy Halloween. Was this a trick? Square the little company that I co-founded with Jack Dorsey back in 2009, had just done something amazing. The odds of surviving an attack by Amazon would depress a Powerball player. But there we were, still alive after going nose to toe against the world's most dangerous company.
2: Hi, this is Hope Jaron, author of The Story of More, coming out in 2020 and author of Lab Girl. That came out in 2016. After I wrote Lab Girl, I had this interesting experience where Time Magazine named me one of the 100 most influential people of the world. And I thought to myself, you know, if somebody's so influential, you should have at least heard of them, right? (laughs) I spent some time wondering if I deserved to be on that list, you know? And that wasn't very productive, right? And so finally, I decided, well, I am. So now what? What am I going to do with all this influence if I have it? What is the most important thing I have to say? And I looked at my life, and I'm turning 50. So I looked at the last half century of the world, and I thought, what is the story of what has happened during my lifetime? How did the globe change during my lifetime? And I spent a long time digging through the data of agriculture and energy use and weather and temperature and ice melting and car use and food waste and sewage production and just everything I could find about how is the world different now than it was when I was born. And amazingly, it comes together in a pretty cohesive story. What do I mean by story? I show how planting more crops meant that we had more feed for animals, which meant that we had to drive meat around, which meant that we needed more oil, which meant that we produced more plastic, which meant that we wasted more packaging, which meant that we were using again more oil, which meant that we were using More plastic, which meant that we were creating more CO2, which meant that we were increasing temperatures and melting ice. And I tried to put together the story of how all these things follow from each other and that the last 50 years have been special. It's been a long story of more, of more of all of those things. I guess it was really about me trying to find the meaning of what the decades of my life add up to. And if the story influences somebody, then I guess Time Magazine will be right. (laughs) If I had to describe my experience in recording this audiobook in one word, that word would be grueling. (laughs) It really would. It's work. It's work and it's hard work to sit here And read your words as perfectly as you can because you know that they're going into somebody's ear and that this is your big chance to say this stuff that you were so careful to write down in the right way. Every word has to be, you know, different can't sound like difference because you spent a long time deciding to use different there. And it feels like you blow it all if you say difference by mistake. So doing it for so many hours with that level of attention, it's grueling, I won't lie. I've done a lot of different work over the years, but it's work. I can see why professionals build skills and and do this for a living and that an author like me that just comes in and does her best is going to feel a little bit overwhelmed. That being said, you know, you get to the last page and you feel like, wow, I did something. You know, it's it's not like writing it, and it's not like reading it to yourself. It's reading it to this fantasy person that you're hoping will like it, and that at the very least you want to be sure that they heard it right so that they can decide if it was any good. My dream narrator. (laughs) You know, my dad had a really great voice for reading things he had this incredulous yet kind of eager and upbeat tone that he used when he read stuff that kind of merited it it's hard to describe it's really hard to describe i mean my father's dead now but i miss his voice and i miss the incredible effort and care that he put into his voice when he was reading something aloud whether it was the newspaper or a poem he remembered from childhood or, you know, part of the Bible or something like that. It was a voice that was different than his conversational voice. I just remember it being so mesmerizing from when I was just really little, and it's always the voice in my head that reads anything important. We listen to audiobooks as a family on long car rides like a lot of people do. And one that we did recently was Animal Farm. And my son was about 12. Animal Farm is great because you can take the characters as animals or you can see they're all symbols for governmental overthrow, even if you don't know the history of you know, Russia and the Soviet Union, etc. But it was a long drive, and we were driving by all these farms You know, we'd be talking about the pigs, and you'd go by this big pig pen, and then my son would be like, which one's Snowball? You know, we'd pick out a snowball or whatever out of them, and it became this activity. It wasn't just a story we were listening to. It was this thing we were doing all together, and gosh, isn't that the way a book is supposed to be? Isn't it supposed to be your friend and go places with you and and become part of your life for a little while? And I just... I thought it was so great. And now listen to a clip from the audiobook. Important men have been arguing about global change since before I was born. Almost 90 years ago, the guy who invented the light bulb urged renewable energy on the guy who invented the car and the guy who invented the tire. I imagine they nodded politely, finished their drinks, and went straight back to motorizing the planet. During the decades that followed, the Ford Motor Company manufactured and sold more than 300 million motor vehicles that burned upward of 10 billion barrels of oil and required a minimum of 1.2 billion tires, also partially made from oil. Hi, I'm Courtney Carver,
1: author of Project 333. I wrote my book because I really wanted to share this fashion challenge I created. It made such a big difference, not only in my life, but in the lives of thousands of people from around the world. It's something that I write about and speak about often, but I feel like I'm only sharing little bits and pieces of it. So to be able to bring all of the details into one resource, I thought was really special. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be exhausting. Not even exhausting in a bad way, it was kind of exhausting in a good way because my team really pushed me to go deeper, not just to read the words on the page, but to feel them and to express what I was feeling. And it really took a lot out of me. <laughs> I'm proud that I was able to record the book myself, and I'm excited that listeners will finally have everything they need to know about Project 333 in their ears, that they don't have to piece together different articles and blog posts, that it's all right here for them. And I think in terms of what I'm most proud of about the book is that this is a challenge that, or a topic, I guess, that I started almost 10 years ago. And it's still going strong. For me, that means it's something that is powerful and meaningful to people. And that makes me really proud. I realized I had trouble pronouncing the word experiment. I always say experiment, which is horrifying because I actually use the word all the time. So now I know it's experiment. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, there's two people I have in mind that I would cast. One is Sarah Koenig. She was the narrator for the Serial podcast, and I just love her voice. She pulls me in. I love listening to her, so I thought she would be great. And I also am crazy for Kristen Bell's voice, so I would have loved for her to record the audiobook as well. The last audiobook that I listened to that I loved was Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. I loved it because it was written by a therapist, not only about her practice with patients, but about her actual therapy. And it made therapy feel so much more accessible. And the stories, the way she told these stories, were so interesting. I could not stop listening. I love listening to audiobooks while I'm working out or doing dishes, or even if I'm just sitting down enjoying a cup of tea. And now, listen to a clip from the audiobook. When I created the minimalist fashion challenge Project 333 in 2010, I wasn't interested in creating a capsule wardrobe. I didn't want to develop a personal style, I thought that was a lost cause. In fact, my motives had very little to do with clothes. I just wanted some peace. I wanted a break from the excess. I wanted relief from running late in the morning after trying on several outfits. I wanted to feel good in my clothes. I wanted to stop obsessing over what I was going to wear to work, to dinner, or to an event. I wanted to stop feeling like I didn't have enough, like I wasn't enough.